You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Dead Air Nipe here with always and forever typical lydia until i suck the youth right out of her it's happening man it's <laughs> happening slowly but surely i'm going gray you and betty davis on today's show we are going to be doing a listener request this one coming to us hot and steamy from chris carr thank you chris we'll be doing the 1976 horror film burnt offerings starring betty davis and karen black and a bunch of other people Oliver Reed, Burgess Meredith is in this. This movie is cast out the ass. Somewhat, yes, though miscast out the ass, if you want to hear my take on it. What's what's miscast about it? Only, the, well, the kid, the kids are usually miscast because they're kids. Um, yeah, he's, he's not great in no, the scenes that he's in. not great. But it's Karen Black. Surprising to even me that I just felt up until... The last quarter, maybe, of the film, every line came out like a foreign language for some reason. It just, I I felt bad wanting to see someone else do this role. Really? Yeah. It seemed totally fine to me. Maybe in the, the last moments, we'll get to it. But, no, I thought the cast was great across the board. I mean, it was great for me seeing Burgess Meredith hamming it up. It, super creepy. Super creepy. Yeah. I mean, nobody does it better. I mean, you're talking about a dude that became a legend in tons of episodes of The Twilight Zone. I mean, he was the Penguin He from the Rocky movies. I mean, he's always fucking wonderful. He's also been in, in several other horror films. I mean, he's been in genre stuff almost his entire career. And to see him just doing this little bit where he's just this eccentric brother of the owners, uh, the owners of this house. So eccentric. Oh like yeah, a James Whale kind of eccentric. And oh like, yeah. I really, I do think of this as an extra long episode of Twilight Zone, and that's Very all that I much. would have known him from because I'm not like a Rocky fan. I didn't pay that much attention to Rocky to recognize him. Like Mick? You don't know. I didn't really recognize him. I'm sorry. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's just not how my brain works. I guess. Oh my god. Yeah. Ugh. I'm getting old, Wes. <laughs> By the second. Yeah, I am. Maybe um, I should get out of the house. Maybe you should get out of the house. <laughs> so this movie is fairly interesting because we've covered some classic ghost stories on this podcast. We have covered supernatural events. I am a classic ghost story and supernatural event in and of myself. Yeah. Ugh. But we have never really covered a film quite like this. It's supernatural, perhaps, but it seems to be the house itself has some kind of power, has... I mean, you could say almost like the house is alive. Yeah, yeah. It it really is... Rejuvenating itself. Yeah. So we're introduced to a young family, young-ish family. Mm -hmm. It's Oliver Reed, Karen Black, and little... And the little boy. Oh, you were going to say Danny, weren't you? Gonna you were going to say Danny Torrance, weren't you? Well, Danny's you hear that? not here, Mrs. Honey, Torrance. Heard it on the television. Yeah. So there are similarities to other more famous spooky house movies. 
The Shining is a good example. The Shining is a really good example. The Amityville Horror, although, to be fair, Burnt Offerings, both the novel and the movie, predate those. Yeah, the novel came out two years before The Shining, and this film came out four years before the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining. So it's only because the others are more popular that we jump to them as firsts. In our minds, because they're first in our minds. But I couldn't help it. I mean, you have a family driving in a car to a large mansion. I mean, to be fair, in The Shining, it's a hotel. But this is, let's just say, for the sake of argument, you could fucking turn this into a hotel. And they're just driving up, having a conversation between the family. I mean, it's not tense. It's not like you're not dealing with Jack Nicholson gritting his teeth at the sign of his own child. But you are... It's just very similar. It's like it's a family driving up to a large estate that they're going to be taking care of over the summer. They're renting it, you see, from a brother and sister, an older couple, who live in the house. And it's going for the low, low price of $900 for the entire summer. Which is super cheap. And it does remind you a little bit of like Amityville, where they're getting a house for a steal. Yeah. What's the catch, he says. Yeah. Waiting for the catch. Now... Oliver Reed, the the, the the husband and all this, he he's super paranoid. He's he's waiting for that catch. He's waiting because it sounds too good to be true. Yeah. It's a beautiful house. Like it is this massive house. It's the same house they filmed Phantasm in. Yes. If you can recall that. Yeah. It's big. It's beautiful. There seems to be a very friendly caretaker there. It seem there seems to be Everyone seems to be more than amicable, yet he gets a bad vibe from everything. Probably, it's just, he's suspicious, it's too good to be true, and so he wants to think about it. However, Karen Black's character is just, like, super fucking down. I want to live in this house for the summer. And I'm wondering why. Well, it's got a pool. In the mid-70s, that was a salt point. Yeah, but even when she's only spent... 15 minutes in the house and they go back to their actual home she's acting as though oh this is going to change our lives and we're going to live in this house she's acting like jack torrance was when he had stepped one foot into the overlook and he was it had its claws into his psyche in a way that's how she's acting even though i would have been totally turned off by the brother sister duo because they were like mm, succulent boys <laughs> we uh, got a young one oh here. children oh. are good for the house he's mm. full of the devil isn't he <laughs> they're creepy as fuck and being like the house is all that matters the house is all important the oh house, the house the oh house. my god to hear them talk and they even tried to temper it a little bit and say like oh well i know it probably sounds crazy to you but it's just when you love a house this much we just want to make sure that you're here for the house it's not normal conversation no, sound crazy sound crazy it's yeah. not bad shit fucking insane you're around the twist you're done your your brain is cooked by this house and, and it's very obvious it's, it's almost com- comedic when you mm-hmm. meet them. They also inform that a technical catch, although they don't consider it a catch, is that their elderly mother is going to be staying in the house with them. Now you won't see her. The only thing that they require is that three times a day you take a tray up to her and put it in the sitting room and she'll eat it and then that'll be it. So 
you kind of have to babysit a little bit, this elderly woman, but they don't seem to mind. Well, at least Karen Black doesn't seem to mind. And also, Oliver Reed's uh, aunt is going to be staying with them, played by Betty Davis, mm-hmm. Aunt Elizabeth. Which I enjoyed. Oh, of course. Yeah, uh, you know, enjoyed. Betty Davis is, I, I, again, like this Hollywood royalty is in this movie. Mm-hmm. So you have that addition. And I guess after a while, when they get back to the house, like, like Oliver Reed gives like that, we're going to think about it. Which of anyone knows in bartering terms means you're never seeing me again. It's like when you're in a store and it's like maybe it's like a leather jacket store and you're looking at stuff and everything's pretty expensive and you get the store, the sales associate to like help you try stuff on and they're like, oh, you look so good. And then I'm like, man, I really like this. And then you look at the price tag and you try not to freak out because it's like $800 and you're just like, hmm, yes, of course. And it's like, you know, my friend is in another store. I'm just going to go over there and I'm going to bring him back here and see what he thinks about it. And they're like, okay. And what you're really saying is, bye. No, I don't react like that to sticker shock, but whatever. Oh, I, uh, sure. I, I, I'm telling about a total, totally hypothetical situation that never happened to me, so... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but no, uh, that is how they sort of react, and it's almost as if they want to keep them there. So when the young boy comes in with a skinned knee, I'm almost thinking like, oh, this is where they're like, oh, he's bedridden now, we're going to have to keep you here forever. Well, it's funny because Burgess Meredith sees that kid fall off and hurt his knee, let me tell you, old Davy here can't get a break. No. Uh, but. <laughs> That's when he's like, oh, he's just playing outside. He's just playing outside. He's like, oh, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's, he's like writhing in pain, holding his leg. And Burgess Meredith sees that happen, but for some reason... I thought that's just what he's into. You know, young boys oh, in pain. yeah, that young boy is That's hurt. just what I thought. Yeah. He's like, something's going to get me out of this wheelchair. It's that. Mm-hmm. Ew. That's what I thought. <laughs> you would. Now, Karen Black kind of pulls some bullshit. She's upset. Pouty. Turns away from her man in bed. And he's like, well, if it means that much to you. And then, lo and behold, they're going to be spending the summer. Again, I got to emphasize, it's July 1st to Labor Day. It's fucking like two months that are going to be spending at this house. Yeah. But let me tell you, this two months is going to change their lives. <laughs> What's left of them? What's left of them. Yeah. It seems normal. It seems like a pretty happy family. Now, when we first started watching the movie, I was like, this poor kid, he's 12 years old. What, this is going to be a summer? Spending spending a, a summer with your parents and your old aunt in some mansion, someplace in California, in the middle of nowhere, where's your friends, where's anybody your age, is just, just going to be you and folks for two months? That doesn't sound like fun to me. But then when you see the way they interact with each other, I'm like, oh, you know, like, they actually kind of have a really interesting relationship. Him and his dad, uh, like, joke with each other, and he and it's okay for him to kind of bust his dad's chops a little bit yeah they get along really really well and even like the mother and the aunt where you'd think because uh television has made us think that the matriarch won't get along with the former matriarch Mm -hmm. they get along just fine oh yeah and they joke around too it's it's all joking and all fun and then oh man Things take a dark turn. Yeah, from joking and fun and roughhousing. To, to I'm, like, got my 
child in a headlock and I'm holding him underwater and he's just got this mean look in his face while their Aunt Elizabeth is just like, what are you doing? Stop it. And when that scene first started, because they're playing around in the pool, the cell point, the pool, the, uh, the filthy pool, because it needed to be skimmed real bad. Yeah, they got gross. it, though. They got I wouldn't it. have swam in that. Well, I, I would have. That would have been fine. So they're like playing and stuff, and he's throwing them off his shoulders or whatever. And the aunt starts freaking out. And I'm like, why is she freaking out? I don't know. I used to play with my uncles in the lake like that. They'd like throw me, like, I'd jump off their shoulders and stuff. And it didn't seem like roughhousing to me because she starts freaking out prematurely. And then yeah. it takes a dark turn. It gets super dark. Yeah, because he's got this look of determination like he is going to kill his son. Yeah. And his son is freaking out trying to push him away. And you definitely get a sense from previous interactions that this is... I, I, I don't even think that they fight. No, yeah, yeah, I don't I, think so either. This is not a household that does that. Mm-hmm. This definitely seems to be... You know, you're kind of a smart alecky kid, but everyone's happy. And he's a smart kid, and he's a good dad and good yeah. mom, and everyone, it's a good family. Yeah. Right? And and then, so this takes a fucking dark turn. And meanwhile, the mom is just off listening to a music box. And then Davey eventually has to find it within himself to get... Uh, what do you call that? Scuba dies. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, it's like um, scuba mask or yeah. whatever. And he hits his dad in the face with it, and his dad like recoils like Gollum, just like <laughs> and and just sort of slinks away into the deep end of the pool. Like he's gonna go retreat into a cave and then bite a head off a fish or something like that. Yeah, the look on his face is like that's a, some exemplary acting right there because he went from. Hokey jokey happy dad to like creepy golem. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. And we cut to just a scene of everyone in bed, and I was like, well, they're not going to fucking acknowledge that that happened. But the dad is pretty broke up about it. And immediately I understood that, okay, well, this is a, a dark force for some reason seems to want them to hurt each other, or there's a sinisterness to the area and you need and for some reason it's taking them over and again and that was reminding me of Amityville Horror it was reminding me of Amityville Horror later on by that point I was still just sort of like maybe this is a dysfunctional family that once they get out of their ordinary it all starts to come out because the house isn't made to be a dark supernatural force apparently right away Mm mm-hmm even despite the brother and sister creepy speech about how the, how much the house means to them, mm. it's still like the house. They don't have enough foreboding shots. I think of the house. That's or very true. That's something that's missing is creating a character of the house. Yeah, they certainly don't spend any time doing that. I agree with you there. Mm. I think that even even musical choices weren't right in the early stages there was nothing no tension created by the music no no tension created by the music and also it was right out of the ordinary because before that scene in the pool which was the first time that something really dark happened yeah like they could have used maybe a couple of establishing shots at night when everyone's asleep and you think's okay and so something happens in the house that perhaps they're not aware of i mean they did have like that scene with the plant like, oh, you think those plants are dead? 
<laughs> and you see a little bit of life to them. Yeah. Uh, that's something to be said. When when uh, Karen Black initially goes into a green room, all the plants in the green room are completely withered and dead. Mm-hmm. And, and she even says it makes her sick. Makes her sick. Such a, it's such a waste. It's such a waste. And I agree. Like, you know, you take care of your plants. And it was. I thought it was odd that, you know, the house was so well maintained, yet there was... Like a whole green room of dead plants. I was like, why would anyone leave that there? Mm-hmm. But you see some growth to them after the fact. And you start getting a sense that the house is starting to rejuvenate itself. Yeah, after the pool scene where Davy almost dies in the pool at the hands of his father. The next day, Karen Black goes outside. And she's even nonplussed saying, oh, well, it's completely cleaned up. And they know nobody's there, just them and the mm-hmm. old lady up in the attic room. Yeah, the pool looks completely refurbished. Yeah, it looks like it's been skimmed even, and it looks like it has a fresh coat of paint and every stone's been scrubbed and the whole like pool area is pristine looks, and looks brand new. It looks brand new, yeah. Yeah. Very creepy. And she remarks on that, too. Mm-hmm. But that's really the only sense you get. And it's not... You know, with the score, now that you mention it, uh, this film could have had no music in it at all, and I'd have not noticed because I can't recall one musical hit that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's got its main theme, which is a, a fairly, well, almost like a lullaby type melody. But yeah, like I, music box music. Yeah, sort of. But after that scene, I really thought that we were going into full Amityville horror territory because the dad is just so tense and angry, and he's not like chopping wood and constantly burning a fire (laughs) and saying like mother of god i'm coming apart it's not that but he's so tense and high like just high frequency hand wringing and you think that he's just gonna fucking slap you yeah i i often thought someone was going to get slapped in this and i often (laughs) wished somebody was going to get slapped in this um he is doing yard work quite vigorously and things like that he is saying really really loaded and heated remarks trying to pick a fight almost yeah he definitely seemed like he was trying to pick a fight yeah not quite like amityville levels of no amityville horror like the dad in amityville horror is like psycho. Yeah. In in that movie. This is a lot more tempered and yeah. I, maybe you could Well, you can see him sort of battling with his own personality cuz he's not like that. He's a really calm British gentleman type. Yeah, stiff upper lip type. Yeah. And likes to joke around a little bit, but he's a very he's a manly dude and he also um <laughs> he has something in his past because the second time we see him have, well, she called it an episode. Mm-hmm. It's he's having a very vivid and creepy dream. The information that we're provided, and I kind of wish that you had read the book so you could tell me. <laughs> I, don't I know, read, right? I, I wish read. I could have read the book because I, I think I'd enjoy it very much. That his mother had died at a very young age. You get an idea then why his aunt has essentially raised him as his, as a mother. Mm-hmm. since then it is a super creepy dream to the point where you were like you're expecting a, a small clown to come riding out in a tricycle oh my god like every time it was just like the, the casting call for this must have been like creepy fucking old people mm-hmm. and creepy chauffeur man a creepy chauffeur anthony jones anthony james i can't remember anthony james i think i wrote it down but it's messy I was in a rush. I was so Twitter-pated. He's a good-looking guy. Like was, I said, like 
through some fog and at a distance. Super hot. Not <laughs> creepy. Aren't we all? Very creepy. That smile of his. Yeah. Wow. That's a perfect... Um, and I did look a little into him on like Wikipedia and stuff, and that was just him being typecast as a creepy villain entirely. Mm-hmm. So he has a super small role, but it's super effective because he is super creepy in this nightmare. And and the visual visual representation of menace in this movie. Yeah. Because there is no other visual representation of menace. He, Which the house should have been. I agree because really only Oliver Reed sees the chauffeur. Yeah. Maybe his aunt, you're not entirely sure. No, but, that's up uh, for debate. I'll get to that in a second, but he's haunted by this, his mother's funeral. Now, is he haunted because it was traumatic just because your mother died at a young age, but not so young that you don't remember it, so the funeral and the whole experience creeped you out, or was there something else about the circumstances of his mother's death? That we don't know about. See, that's what I found really confusing. Yeah, there's a few things left out, and that's one of them. It is a recurring dream, though, this dream that he has. So I'd like... His wife seems to be aware of it, too. Oh, very, yeah. Because all he has to say is, I had that dream again. And she's like, oh, oh, shit. Not this again. Mm. You're stronger than that. Um, But I guess the chauffeur has been a recurring portion of this dream as well. If he hadn't been, I'd like to blame the spirit of the house or whatever. The spirit of the menace of the house would be embodied in the chauffeur mm-hmm. and showing up in his dreams. But I don't know. And I wonder if in reality, if that chauffeur were actually there and creeped him out. Anyone smiling at a funeral could creep a kid out, I'm sure. But especially with that smile. Yeah, I know. That's a pretty creepy smile. His weird reflective glasses and his just weird black chauffeur's outfit. He was just a creepy dude. Um, so gaunt. Very gaunt. And pale. Yeah, easy there. He's there, Lydia. <laughs> Meh, whatever. Anyway, let's talk about something other than the chauffeur. If you can, you can try. Um, so there are subtle hints throughout the film that there are remnants of the house that have been there for a very long time. Similar to the photograph at the end of The Shining in the Overlook Hotel, there's photographs of many people in the upstairs sitting room where they're supposed to bring the meals every day to Mm -hmm. the old lady who's living in the attic bedroom. And we're told from her, I guess, children that she is an avid photo collector. She's got thousands of photos throughout the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And Karen Black sees all these portraits in the sitting room of all just all kinds of people. I would be pretty fascinated by that personally. I really, really would, especially antique photos. Like I do collect some antique photos myself so I can see that fixation. And it's a really beautiful collection, Mm -hmm. but really similar to the Overlook. And only because we've seen The Shining that it sort of like carries a little more menace. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dad points out that that when he discovers an old gravestone, old graveyard in the on the property, which is not uncommon for an old house mm-hmm. uh, uh, that era, that most of the it's it's a family plot, and there's nobody up to a certain point, like the eight the late eighteen hundreds, eighteen seventies or eighteen eighties, I think it was, and he, that he remarked that it was very strange. Davy finds an old rusted bike 
that could have belonged to anybody. Mm-hmm. So there are things in the house that I felt like the rusted bike, even though they never went back to it, although I was kind of hoping that they would, I felt like the rusted bike probably belonged to a previous family. And the spectacles. And you know what? Now that I think about it, if we went back and frame by frame some of those photographs, mm-hmm. bet you that there's a photograph where somebody has a bike. It's probably something so tiny and subtle if it's there at all. Because mm-hmm. I can't feel that a filmmaker would, a, a, an accomplished filmmaker, would abandon a device like that. That mm-hmm. or it's on the cutting room floor. May, I'm just going to say, I fingers crossed, there's a photo somewhere of someone wearing the spectacles they find in the pool and somebody holding that bike in a photograph. That would make so much sense, and if it was noticeable, it would be creepy. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, because when they did that shot of the bike, I even remarked as it happened, I was like, you don't shoot the bike like that if that bike is meaningless. Yeah, and it's not just a, a couple shots of the bike. They linger on the bike. That is, that is how they close out the scene. Yeah. So I said, that bike means something. Whether it's a reference to something that's only in the book or... If it's on the cutting room floor, I don't know. Yeah. It warrants a rewatch, actually, to look through those photos that they're showing. Or maybe it's leaned up against the house in one of the photos from before, because there's photos of the house. You never know. I wonder. The changes in the pool, everything looks better. They're finding old artifacts and also an indication that no one in the family has been buried there for almost a century at this point. Which is fine, because it's probably illegal. Yeah, that was that was my first uh, my knee jerk reaction when he was like, "Huh, isn't it weird? No one's been buried here in a hundred years." I was like, "I'm pretty sure you can't do that <laughs> yeah, anymore. It's that's, not weird at all. That's actually. why it's like yeah. you can't bury people on your property, or you need a permit to do that." Um, and I'm, so, I'm like, "Well, you can't put a headstone." Wink, <laughs> wink. Nudge, nudge. Oh, listeners, if you're wondering whatever happens to me, check Lydia's property. It's a very small property. It won't take you long. <laughs> oh, my God. Save me now. Um, there's also hints that they might be prematurely aging. Subtle. Very, very subtle. It, and it, it come... the women remark amongst one another yeah. on their appearance, as women are wont to do. Uh, it also doesn't help that Karen Black has discovered some some costuming. <laughs> She's found some clothing that she can just feels comfortable. Could you imagine? Just digging into closets and wearing other people's clothes, which, no, I can't imagine. And Like, I couldn't imagine, like you had said, why is she dusting that mirror? And I'm like, why are they doing yard work? What is it, What is? What are they doing? And she's, like, wearing other people's clothing. Yeah. She's and like, I'm, making, oh, I'm just, making that face. I just found it in the closet. So is she wearing it? Yeah. I mean... Weirdo. Yeah, I know. It's... Let's say that that dress has been in there for 100 years and nobody wears it anymore it's not theirs but it's not yours either (laughs) it might just more be the houses it took a long time like a few things in this where i wish it was you know i didn't need it spelled out for me but i wanted it to be a little more apparent than the house had this power Mm -hmm. because it wasn't until later on when we were questioning this that it was like, oh, well, I suppose the house is enticing them to do these things. Mm-hmm. It's not apparent, though. It's really not. Not really. No. Um, the tensions are pretty high in the household when, for whatever reason, 
the dad wakes up in the middle of the night and goes to Davy's door. And I was like, oh, man, he's going to fucking beat the hell out of this kid or yeah, something. Yeah, all the clocks jumped forward from 20 to 12 to 12. And all yeah. the clocks in the house went off. And there's a lot of clocks. It was and so he wo- so it woke him up. Yeah. And he goes to Davy's door and tries to open it or knocks on it and gets no response. You find out that inside, just KO'd, <laughs> is Davy. Who's all hopped up on gas. Someone turned on the gas valve in his room. And so he's suffocating in there. Yeah. How the dad would have known that? No idea. No idea. But he kicks down the fucking he's door. He's 12. Who checks in on a 12-year-old? I have no idea. That's just but, strange But dream, he but... kicks down the door, busts in. He's there to save the day. And they, they save him. Now, it's apropos of nothing. Anne Elizabeth comes to Karen Black and says, I didn't do that. I didn't do it. Yeah. Hey, I I didn't do that. This is when I start. Oh, no, this is not when I start yelling at the television. I started yelling at the television a little while ago. I started yelling at the television when the mom and dad went for a midnight swim. Oh, so I'm yeah. just going to rewind a tiny little bit here. Okay. After the drowning scene. Um, I guess suppose it was that evening. Or a little later. Oh, no, or... it was probably the evening after because they went to bed and he was acting strange. Or was yeah. it even the night that Danny gets gas poisoned? I It's all mixed up now. Anyway, um, maybe I'm getting old and forgetting these things. Your house is looking pretty good, though. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Fresh coat of paint. Oh, wow. Um, there really is a fresh coat of paint. I didn't notice it before. I'm checking for grays. So, yeah. They go for a midnight swim, and they have this conversation where you'll recall we'd mentioned at the beginning where she really wants to go to this house, and he's trying to, like, cozy up to her in bed, mm-hmm. and she's turning him away. Well, she turns him away for more sex during this uh, skinny dipping pool scene. Yeah, they had like a little midnight swim together. Yeah, and they have this conversation about excitement and fireworks in their sexual relationship. And it's not really clear whether they're still having sex or if it, he just wants more. Or it, 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 it occurred to me that they don't sleep together. They don't actually have sex. Maybe since Davy, they haven't had sex. And I thought that, because they don't really say, because there's a lot of just not really saying in this, uh, I think it's just that he wants a little more excitement. But he's also being a little more violent for no reason, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden he tries to basically rape her on the front yard. Mm -hmm. And instead of punching him in the throat, which was my first wish that, you know, someone's trying to have sex with you and you don't want it, that you kill them. Okay. She doesn't do that, of course. um, Because women in the 70s in film didn't, usually. And... Instead of that, she doesn't even tell him why she doesn't want to have sex because the light is on in the attic and they're being watched. And that's why. Because she's like looking up and she says, no, no, we can't do this right here, right now. And she doesn't tell him that they're being watched. Instead, she just lets him get angry and try and rape her. And then starts crying or whatever. And she pleads. It's a lot more desperate. And then he's like, okay. That's when I started yelling at the television. Yeah. So that night I was already in a yelling at the television kind of mood. So when Betty Davis is just coming in in the middle of the day and claiming that she didn't try to kill her nephew, then then the, the, the shit gates open and the shit flowed out. 
of my mouth. Well, they had a they, they were pretty upset with each other. Uh, Karen Black and and Betty Davis and Elizabeth. I can't even remember Karen Black's character, but she doesn't name. fall into this because of. You'd think that with Betty Davis saying, well, I didn't do this, she'd be like, well, what is it that you think you did? And she's going to get accusatory. She doesn't really, she believes everything that Betty Davis is saying. Well, she also said this in a pretty shitty way. She's like, you're old. You you know, I don't expect you to remember everything. And and one of the, the things about that is Betty Davis's character of Anne Elizabeth, she, at the beginning of the movie, she's like, has all of her faculties. She is kind of like a hip granny like she's she's yeah. not her she, hair is all in place yeah it yeah. looks really good yeah she's it's not like like super, betty davis did yeah, yeah it's not super great she looks glamorous and she's smart and and talented she's a great artist um the next interaction they have she's already saying like oh i i need to go to a salon i need a nap i'm looking peaked and my hair is looking gray yeah and then and then she's starting to look very sick i mean look like they already established that her character is about 74 years old. So she's a real, in this house that sucks the life out of you, mm. she's a real canary in a mine shaft. You know? She's the first to go. Yeah. yeah. So by this point, this is like their third private interaction. And she's saying she didn't kill, try to kill Davy. And she. Yeah. Yet the door was open, but now then the door was locked. The windows were locked. She's sure she wouldn't forget something like that. Yes. Which makes you think, well. Did the house do it or did the house get her to do it? It's kind of, it's not explained, but certainly uh, Aunt Elizabeth can't She's the first that. to actually really be confused and to question her actions. Sure, the dad's a little broken up because he keeps trying to like drown his son and rape his wife. And he only seems a little bit upset about that. Yeah. Um, Karen Black's character is just even keel through all of this. She's not really doubting anything that's happening. No. And she even makes excuses for it. Sorry to cut you off. When she notices that the pool has refurbished itself and she says to herself, whoa, it's all refurbished. She lies through her teeth saying that she is the one that did it. Yeah. When she's not. No, she I don't know if it's do an it. implanted memory by the house. I wish that was a little, made a little more clear. It if could have used a line or two of dialogue. Covering her own confusion. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they cut out a whole scene of her refurbishing the whole pool area. That was the that was the the, the revenge of the nerds like monologue or uh, montage. Yeah. <laughs> Put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, that's what they're missing. Going but... down, down. Cleaning the house montage. <laughs> and a big robot's helping them do it. I'm sorry. I'm. Yeah. I've fallen off a cliff. That's all right. Um, so Betty Davis' character is, she's super duper upset. And I actually felt really bad for her because she wanted to leave the house at that point. She said that she hated it here. After talking to her, uh, uh, Oliver Reed, um, Ben, Ben, thank you. Ben and Marion are the husband and wife. Sweet. We been keep, keep calling them by the actor names. I know, yeah. which is rare. We usually call them by their character names and forget the actors' names, but these are such like, big actors that I'm just that they're fucking yeah, names. So much easier to use their actual name. Yeah, their their names are just in my face. Um So Mama Firefly and what's his face? Yeah <laughs> Mama Firefly. She uh I was just fucking I, I was like, oh this is such a sad scene because he he's like, hey you wanna have a, you wanna have some martinis and then you get the sense I'm like, yeah, she's the type of 
like old aunt that loves to have a drink and and likes to have a good time and probably and, and she's just so upset and so sickly and mixed up because she's aged like 15 20 years yeah yeah she's looking really gaunt and her hair is almost white by this point yeah i mean it looked like she was a woman of 74 but looks great for for 74 and now she looks like a woman who's in her 90s yeah and um and it's 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 really sad and then she just basically spends the remainder of her time in the movie in bed and then she has this horrific awakening where she is just making sounds of agony and it's fucking freaky like i was i was like well that's like i think the noises she was making freaked me out i I wasn't sure what was medically happening to her if it was supposed to be indicative of a heart attack or if it was just her body was slowly giving up inside i wasn't sure i think it was it 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 seems to me just like the pain of rapidly aging like that Mm -hmm. Uh, i can't imagine that doesn't hurt like the opposite of growing pain yeah maybe she was just be like the life was being sucked out of her so it was scary and it was probably painful yeah and the house had basically said well this one's done and i'm just going to not kill you via accident i'm like we're literally just taking your life from you and while this is all going on and she's writhing in pain and the whole house is up and in a, and in a stir um you know they're trying to call a doctor like i thought this was this was like the thing i was like this is so strange to me he tries to call a doctor to come to the house like you have like house calls and he keeps getting a busy signal on everything. Every he tried multiple doctors. Even the operator he even says. the operator was a was a busy signal. And then she went downstairs and said that, Oh, I called the doctor, the doctor's coming, don't worry about it. And so he waits with her while she's making this noise, and then he hears a car and it's not the doctor, it's that fucking chauffeur again. This is the third time he's had a hallucination with this chauffeur and this person in what I would say is the most, well, the second most horrific part of the movie is where the chauffeur breaks down the door and, and like his aunt and him both react like they see it. And she looks terrified at it. And it, he rolls the coffin of his dead, of, of, of the dead mother, uh, from his dream towards them and then it cuts and then next scene we're at a funeral yeah and now Betty, i suppose maybe she was able to see the chauffeur because she's on the brink of death yeah like he's some sort of grim reaper and maybe that's exactly what he was seeing and maybe he did see the grim reaper at his own mother's funeral maybe which would be super creepy if that was explained a little clearer instead of having to think about it and talk about it on a podcast for a half hour afterward. <laughs> it would have been a little more effective to figure that out within the film. I'm just saying, you know. It, this film suffers from... Sometimes uh, I complain about films being overly explanatory. Sometimes I complain about films being too subtle i think this is an instance where the film might have been a little too subtle a little too subtle yes Uh, i mean but it's so it is truly such a rich and interesting story that that's why i'm lamenting it yeah especially since there was no i was expecting a scene 
I was, I was expecting a library scene. I was expecting them going into the attic and finding evidence. Not or... even that. I was expecting them to talk to one another without lying through their teeth about something or another. I chopped that up to, like, possession. Somewhat. I, I wish it would have been a little, made a little more clear. I really do. Uh, especially because the house is refurbishing itself. Yes. On the backs of their misery. And I like that. I like that theme a lot. And that theme's used in countless other more gothic horror and it's used um in contemporary horror with steve rasnick thames book called deadfall hotel mm-hmm. and it's a particularly enjoyable book where an entire hotel seems to run on that same sort of machination right where it's taking life force from people somewhat but mostly just spending a lot of time rebuilding itself which is really cool it's done very very cool in that book and it reminds me a lot of this story too which i wonder if all these creators of all these things that remind us that we're reminded of when watching burnt offerings have they all just watched burnt offerings and are ripping it off it's possible i was seeing so many similarities especially with the shining yeah when creative people we're creative people we do create things yeah a lot of times you will see something in a movie or read it in a book or a comic or something like that and vi- play it in a video game. There's tons of different ways that people get stories to us nowadays. When a moment particularly affects us, when a moment really gets our creative juices going and it makes you want to create something, you want to sometimes incorporate the moments that inspired you the most into the story or to say oh i'd love to write a story like that or i'd love to see a story like this but just with some little tweaks here and there or to to maybe give something of myself in this exact same narrative structure and so like this is now me or sometimes i want to do this but better yeah yeah and and i think it's possible although i have no fucking way of knowing this is complete conjecture yeah yeah i would not be surprised if at the very least maybe stephen king got inspired by this book or the the family that started the amityville horror legend and then the book based off of that and then that turned into a movie they could have like oh well you know when they were making the movie there were some elements in in burnt offering that were very similar to like let's just kind of like build upon that to sort of you know what I mean? But to try to explain it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So th- it's possible. And, and it, that's the the loving homage yeah. that, that creative people usually kind of tell. I, I definitely know people that uh, who in the comic book industry will tell each other, oh, uh, hey, uh, it's good to meet you. I, di- I, I did an homage to something you did in a previous book, which basically means I took your idea and I ripped it off. And they all kind of just like, <laughs> yeah, like that's what they're there for, right? Um, so, I, I mean, it, it it really is kind of like flattery. and and Or does it chalk up to nothing new under the sun? So let's, like, Stephen King was inspired by all kinds of other things, writing The Shining. Yes. And The Overlook, in particular, was um, based on, like, the Stanley Hotel. Yes. Um, or no, was it? Or was it just that they filmed parts of it? No, they, they based parts of the book off. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, yes. The aerial shots in the film are Stanley Hotel. 
Mm-hmm. But um, would it be just a case of all these things remind us of that by happenstance alone? I've written stories without having read other things that could be to the naked eye appearing as source material for it, which it's not because mm-hmm. it's something that I read after writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happened a couple times, and it's happened with other writers too, and some it's, writers yeah. who are flat out accused of plagiarism, and swear up and down that they've never read whatever source material beforehand. Interesting. In our previous episode, we did the movie Hardware. That was that film was sued because it bore a striking resemblance to a comic book strip in the British. Uh, book uh, 2000 AD there mm-hmm. was a story that was almost identical to it so whether or not Richard Stanley knew that or or not he claims that he didn't that it was a complete coincidence but they had to put an addendum on the the cut of the film for its video releases that says inspired by a story in 2000 AD when apparently it wasn't really inspired but it was just the lawyers went over it, and I was like, tit for tat, it's it's almost an identical story. Yeah. So yeah. that kind of stuff does happen. I mean, one of the things about there being so many people out there and so many people who want to create things and so many books and so many movies and, and so many outlets is that there's more ideas in the world, but at the same time, sometimes ideas can intersect with each other and like, hey, what a, like, maybe this. I've definitely written things... And I've been like, yeah, this is like a wholly original idea. I'm so stoked. And then like I read a description of a fucking anime like a year later and I'm like, oh, that sounds exactly like what I was. Yeah, it definitely happens to a lot of creatives. Definitely. Yeah. If if not just anyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? It's it's such a weird realm to think about is what what has influenced what if it's influenced into it all. Very strange. Yeah. Fascinatingly, it did remind us a lot of these really cool other things that we'd seen first. And I'd like to think that somewhere there's older people than us that watched Burnt Offerings first. Yeah. And look at all these other things and say, well, that's just exactly like Burnt Offerings. And that's all that they can think of. Because it imprinted itself that much on their minds. Uh, There's definitely things like, like that for me. I remember when I first started hearing about... This whole Hunger Games thing. And I was like, you mean Battle Royale? I watched Hunger Games and I did not see any real resemblance to Battle Royale. And I just think they both have ripped off the lottery. So there. Yeah. Well, Mic mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) It's fair. But all I'm saying is that like when when someone described a brief description, like what is it? It's, It's this. I'm like, oh, it sounds like Battle Royale to me. It didn't really sound like Battle Royale to me at all. But either way. There's teenagers killing each other in a competition. Yeah, One but it survivor. wasn't sanctioned by a school, and they weren't tricked into it. It was sanctioned by the government. Yeah, in a lottery. It's the exact same thing. There's no lottery in Battle Royale. It's No, by Battle Royale, it's by district. I like That is like one tiny little difference, but it's still, it's still the exact same thing. Similar. But I'm sure people have this argument about Amityville Horror, The Shining, and Burnt Offerings all the time. Maybe. I remember when uh, we were recommended the movie, I was like, I never even heard of it. No, me neither. You know what my favorite thing about this film was, though? My Well, my favorite thing about you in this film is when you turned to me and said, this kid is going to go home and write in his diary, worst summer 
ever. You're not fucking kidding. Yeah. So he goes to this place in the middle of nowhere and hang out with his parents. He almost gets drowned by his dad. He almost suffocates on gas. His aunt dies. Um, <laughs> his mother's like screaming at him. Like, all the time. Yeah, he's pretty sad after the funeral, too. Oh, yeah. Like, that was yeah. the other thing. Like, he's having a horrible time. And there's the times when they come up to him afterward, and they're just like, hey, Davey, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm okay, I guess. And I'm thinking, no, you're a fucking not. You are scarred for life. I know. He doesn't seem to be being affected by the age, but I guess that's kind of hard to do for a 12-year-old kid. Because I'm like, look, if you're having people here clearly aging by, like, 10 years in the, in the span of a couple of months, 12-year-old kid shouldn't look like that by the end of it. He should look like the adult version of himself by then. Yeah. So they can't, but I mean, you can't, you have to replace the actor to do that. Maybe they age so much slower. That's why the house loves children so much because it can keep sucking so much life force out of them. Maybe. The old people just like wither up super fast. Um, after the, <laughs> after the funeral, that's where we realize that, Karen Black's character has like lost her fucking mind. Like she, <laughs> like she's. It, it, it was very. It was so subtle. It's nuts. But by the time you get to that scene, she's like the countess of this fucking household. Yeah, when like, they returned from the funeral, like, you were like, "Okay, Vampirella." Yeah, I know. Like she, she's wearing like a like a like a fucking silken cape with like a giant red jewel around her thing. She's got like. Big bright, high collar. Like, like, big high collar. Yeah, like big high collar and bride of Frankenstein hair. And like, she's just fucking dressed to the nines. And she's telling her kid to drink out of a goblet. And he's like, I don't want to drink out of a goblet. I want to drink out of a glass. It's like kids with goth parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's when the parents go and have a talk after. Just like, I don't think he's goth enough. I don't think he's goth enough. Yeah. He wants to drink out of a glass and not a, not those Silver metal goblets. Goblets, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> drink your, your blood red wine. I don't want to. <laughs> I want some water. No. See, I don't know. I sort of agreed with the kid that I didn't want to drink out of the goblet either. But then I was thinking, you know, it's pewter I really dislike. You know, silver does isn't isn't my favorite, but yeah, pewter goblets, please, no. I'd have been against it too. But it it is really strange that no one's really calling her out on this too. But I guess if you want to just chalk everything up, and it seems like such a cop out to me to just be like, well, the house has possessed them, so this movie can get away with anything. You give it carte blanche because the house is possessing them. But I still wanted somebody to be like, what happened to your angora sweater and your fucking. High waist mom jeans and your your kids. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't you wearing your kids anymore? Yeah. I wish he, they would have shown her footwear. He uh uh they go to the funeral, but she does not. Mm-hmm. And he seems perturbed about that, understandably. Yeah. He was like I'd like you to explain why you haven't didn't go to the wedding. And she's and Funeral. Uh, f- <laughs> wow. <laughs> Same know. difference. Same difference. Yeah, in my that, books. Yeah, me too. A wedding is a funeral of a different kind. Yeah, a wedding is the thing you avoid. <laughs> um, and, and she's like, well, I couldn't leave because she's taking care of this mother, this this disembodied mother that, that we, haven't we, seen. we haven't seen and we don't know 
is there. But we do see in a moment of crisis that the food that she's been bringing up, she actually goes up there and sits down and starts eating it herself. And I don't even think she's aware that she's doing it. I don't think so either. And this is another instance of, well, the house is possessed. Because we're questioning, like, has she been eating it all along? We don't know. Does she know she's even eating it? We don't know. Like... Is is there even an old lady at this point? Yeah. Oh, well, the house is possessed, so we don't need answers to these questions. At, at this case, at this point in the film, I was definitely thinking that, oh, there's no one behind that door. Like, no, yeah. I was having a very um, psycho Norman Bates' mom. Oh, like like there would be at least feeling. a body back there or something? Yeah, that's what I was hoping. I think that'd be cool. Um, now, in the middle of the night... That night, after the funeral, Oliver Reed wakes up because he hears some shambling, something. And he looks outside, and it's all the shingles coming off the roof. All the old faded shingles literally just falling off. And underneath those shingles are brand new spick and span black shingles. Which is an amazing scene, and this is it's the really sort of cool. thing I wish we could have saw a little more of mm. setting up. I, the, the, the wood paneling on the side of the house buckling and coming off, and fresh painted wood on the bottom there. Yeah. That was I, cool. I think it's something every homeowner just wishes would happen. I know. I was like, can't this house just fucking... Reshingle itself. I know. But it was really cool when it was raining outside, and he hears these things, and you look outside, and right away, you know, like you can tell... That it's the shingles falling off. Yeah. It's it's done very, very cool. They don't show a hell of a lot of it. And I can Not see really. effects-wise why that would be a pain. Like They've already sort of gotten away with tricking us a little when the uh, pool whips into a frenzy. And there's a real, like, tempest in a teacup thing happening. The pool whips up into these massive waves somehow. And we sort of thought about how they would have accomplished that. Because a wave pool isn't really common. And it's way more wavy than a wave pool. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, four foot waves in this pool. Yeah. Uh, so they've gotten away with some pretty cool effects like that. And the house is, that's done very, very well. All the it, shingles falling off to show new shingles and like all the wood just popping bit, off. Yeah. yeah. Um, now at this point, he just bursts into, he just wakes his kid up cause he's sleeping in the room with his kid mm-hmm. at this point. And he's just like, we are fucking out of here. We're leaving. We're not waiting for your mother. Your mother is like, she's gone. She's. Yeah, because she... that night when she's tucking him in, he's like, can we go home tomorrow? And she's like, no, honey. No. Uh, no, we're never leaving. Yeah. And so he gets into their giant station wagon, giant 70s wonderful station wagon, and tries to get out of there. But the grounds now, and this is the most active we've ever seen the house because it lit it's a storm so but the the, the conveniently right in the roadway a tree goes in their path now he gets out and he's like well i'm just gonna fucking move this shit and then like vines and parts of debris start wrapping around him and pulling him away and so he gets back into the car and then he's just gonna rant he's just i'm gonna fucking drive through this and he hits the, the fallen tree so hard that he bangs his head on the front. And then he's kind of in like a weird comatose state. Yeah, he's concussed himself quite bad. And even his son, when his wife does come to the car, yeah. um, she's like, what happened? And he's like, he's knocked his head pretty hard. And that's pretty much exactly what had happened. Mm-hmm. He seems pretty out of it. Or it could just be that the house is possessed. Yes, yeah, true. 
Now, you said that, like, in a way that was shitty. I'm just saying, like, um, <laughs> now, afterwards, that's when little Davy almost drowns again in that pool scene you were describing. Yeah. So after that, and then I'm just like, fuck this kid, man. He cannot catch a break. No. But the interesting thing is that after that scene, the next time we see the mother, she's out of her... Like Corella Deville outfits, <laughs> yeah, and she's back in her own clothes. Yeah, her own seventies attire, and it seems that she's better. Although he is like unable to speak or really move, he's like in a, a old timey wheelchair. Yeah, he's, he he can't make words very well. He can't seem to move. Mm-hmm. He's staring in one spot like he is catatonic, and yeah, that was that scene. That was afterward, wasn't and, it? And then. And then uh, uh, she goes into the house uh, for whatever reason. I can't quite recall. And then she sees that her kid is swimming out to the deep end, which she explicitly told him not to do. Yeah. And he's doing it because he's trying to encourage his dad to sort of snap out of it, I guess. He's like, look, dad, I can look. I can. I'm getting really good at swimming. I'm like, Ugh. But uh, I was like, I don't, this does not bode well for you, little Davy. You do not have a good track record with being alive. Yeah. So, and I thought you said you're never going to go in that pool again. Yeah. But, That's what you said last time you almost drowned in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, ass. when your dad tried to murder you. Yeah. Um, now you have uh, the mother. You have Karen Black seeing her kid and trying to desperately, like, it's weird. She's in the second story, but she's, like, trying to lift the window. And I'm like, are you just trying to shout at him? Like, he's not, you can't help she him. She would have gotten a lot further along by running downstairs and outside. Yeah, maybe. But I, uh, but, so, and then at that point, the door closes on her and then she can't get out. But then she uh, does something that I thought was incredibly surprising. She smashes the glass. And... Maybe people would say, oh, well, her kid's in danger, so she's going to break the glass because she can't get out of the house. But I was like, yeah, but she's also damaging the house, which at this point in the film has indicated something that she just never she never wants to do. She doesn't want to damage the house. She loves this house. Yeah, so, it could be. But maybe the house doesn't give a shit about the damage. Maybe it's like the crow. Yeah, just like, like, we're, like just gets shot on I'm top of the table. dead and I move, you know. Um but at this point, I think it's a, it's it's safe to say that this that whatever spell or whatever was going on inside uh, on her, seeing her kid in danger, would have been enough to break it. Because when she musters her strength to get her kid out of the water, and he's not dead again, um, she agrees with them all. Let's just go, and so they all pack up. Yeah, and yeah. and and they're all ready to get the fuck out of there. But there's this final moment where they're they're literally in the car about to pull away and she says well i have to go upstairs and tell the woman that we're leaving the mother and both the father and the son are like no no we don't want you to go in that house no let's just leave and she insists uh she goes up there and that's it she doesn't come out and so he honks the horn he says one sec little davy well, I'll, I'll be getting your mom. And he finally brings himself to go into the room. Past the sitting room is the bedroom that no one has seen in. Yeah. And you see an old woman sitting in a chair, away, looking out the window. And 
turn that chair around. It's not a skeleton. It's Karen Black, who instantly became an old lady. Yeah, within moments, she changed into, like, a black morning gown and has her hair up in a bun and it's white as hell. Uh, they did that very well, although it would have been so freaking fast. It was like as soon as she walked in the door, just magically like Cinderella, bippity boppity boo, she yeah, turned into it was this weird old lady. Because I felt like if the house could do this the whole time, why did it wait? Maybe it needed so much more energy. Yeah, and I don't know. but I don't agree with the sea change happening the moment that she saw her son in peril because she has already changed into her uh, angora sweater and her mom jeans before that. And someone has already broken a window with no repercussion because when Davy was dying of gas asphyxiation in his room, once the dad picked him up, carried him out to fresh air, then they went back into the room to air it out. He tried to open the window and it wouldn't open, so he just smashed it, which is another instance of me yelling at the TV screen because it's like, wait, you can just wear people's clothes and smash their windows? Now I'm curious to go back and see... If the next scene, when they're tucking Davy in at night, because they tuck this 12-year-old in for some reason, is the window repaired? That'd be interesting. I'll bet you it is and no one notices. So is this movie only really effective and creepy on multiple viewings? It's possible that it has more richness to it because you like it stands look at the very least we can agree that it stands on multiple viewings just to make sure you get everything. Oh yeah. But in the final moments, <laughs> I'll read in in something that I was shocked with how uh, violent it was. It's like cut to like Karen Black, old lady Karen Black, lunging at her husband, somehow mustering the strength to throw a hundred and seventy pound man. Out of a window with ferocity. She looks so angry, too. I love her one cocked eyebrow and her yeah. steely blue eyes. She looks so evil. Yeah, she looked fucking pissed that they were in there. And yeah. he goes flying out the front of the window. And he lands on the fucking car that poor little Davy's inside. And, like, and, and like you see, like, this huge gush of blood cover Davy. I'm like, what the hell is that? Well, his dad's face went through the fucking windshield. Yeah. And it was fucked looking. And so Davey gets out of the car. He's like, ah. Like, he's just, like, panicking. And then, and then, and then when it, it the camera, uh, very telling, was showing a perspective of the chimney and uh, Davey kind of running around the corner. Yeah, like and shooting I, from behind And I up. was just like, do it. Do it! And sure enough, the chimney just fucking starts collapsing. And Davy's just like, ah! And he gets crushed to death. You know, they don't really show anything. They freeze on it because I think, you know, killing a kid on They actually loop his scream to make it longer, <coughs> which is my favorite. They do. <laughs> they That's do. kind of awesome. He's like, ah, I'm done. Just loop it. <laughs> loop it. It's like, you want to go for 10, Davy? Oh, you want to go for two, Davy? No. No, kid's out of breath. Leave the pocket alone. I kind of wish that he wouldn't have got crushed by the chimney so that he could write this story called My Worst Summer Ever. <laughs> My Worst <laughs> Summer Ever. Yeah. Write that in heaven with the angels. Oh, sure. Now, then we're given an ending where it's the, the brother and sister who I guess are just saying like, she's back. And the house is perfect. And they took a they take a picture of the house and 
it kind of the camera is spanning around to the sitting room and you see amongst all those other portraits of people a portrait of Oliver Reed, little Davy, Betty Page, Betty Page. <laughs> Sexy. I wouldn't mind them fucking digging out their old porn stash and putting some Betty Page photos in amongst all the dead people. Hey, Davis. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Aunt Elizabeth. Aunt Elizabeth, Marion, Ben, and Davy. Yeah, they're all they're all there. Oh wait, no. Carol well, Black's character well, isn't. No, because she's the mother now. Yeah. She's upstairs rotting away. If that is even true, I think that she just like disintegrates and disappears into the floorboards and like becomes the wallpaper or something. Because it really seems to me that the house itself is their mother. It really it, does. Like they don't explain it. Is the caretaker part of the family? That's another question. Yeah. Like is it part of the family? And are they immortal? If that's their mother, and and no one in their family has been buried for a century? That or, they're maybe not immortal. They probably have a normal lifespan, but they are sick and tired of their house sucking all their life forms, that life force out, so they take other unsuspecting people and put them in the house so that they can age a normal lifespan instead of aging super rapidly. Maybe mm. they're only 20, and they've spent too long in the house, so they're like, we got to get out for a bit. So we got to get some other people in here to have their life force sucked. And while we go shopping and like summer on Coney Island or whatever and like take in some like outdoorsiness, we'll age back to 20 years old. Yeah. And then we can return to our house, age back up to like 80 over the winter and then go back out and be 21 next year. That's probably how it works. <laughs> I'm giving it way too much thought. Way too much thought. Well, the movie is making you because it doesn't tell I'm you. I'm not enjoying it, though. No? No, the thinking thing is I felt like I wanted a little more of that. I don't mind thinking after a movie. I like a movie that makes me think. I really, really do. But I feel like I'm doing all the work. Let's not make it a sex joke. <laughs> Next, we're doing Clown. Oh, an Eli Roth movie. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's like every girl wants a clown for her birthday, and that's what I get this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sure to have some cake for you or something. Mm, I don't want any cake. Why not? I just don't feel like cake. Birthdays? Cake? I'm going to be 40. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. What I need is, like, some prune juice. <laughs> yeah, maybe some, like, like unsalted crackers. <laughs> what else do old people eat? Cream corn. I don't know. Um... I don't know. Anyways, thanks for the movie recommendations. Uh, if you guys want to send any more movie recommendations, I recommend that you go to our Facebook page, uh, Spot a Picture slash Dead Air, or if you want, you can tweet me at Dead Air 0001. Any movie you want to do, always take it under consideration. Like I always say, it could take us a little while to get to it because we do have a a schedule so we try to fit you guys in whenever we can yeah you can leave messages on the splatterpictures.net website as well and comment on soundcloud mm-hmm. or you can throw us likes on stitcher and itunes and stuff like that you didn't notice that i painted well i mean listen- you didn't notice the new cushions dear listeners lydia has made some upgrades to our house and i am noticing some fucking more gray hairs on my beard so get the fuck out of here you know what i'll just end it i'll be fucking man enough to just say no more
That's it. That's all the show you fucking get. Yeah, but you have to end it with the way the, the things that you always say. On that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you have been listening to Dead Air. See, it's like a bell, and I'm like fucking Pavlov's dog. <laughs>